first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Uh, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. <laughs> Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Hey you, yeah, you listening. What's got you down? Why are you so fucking depressed? Relax. Whatever's going on in the world right now, if you can't control it, if you can't personally change it, it's not important. So just sit back and relax and enjoy the show because this is a really good one. Actually, that's kind of the theme of the show, but I am interviewing here uh, Michael Markey, and this was such an incredible chat. Like The mighty Markey music is finally on the show, and we had a fantastic time, or at least I did. I can't speak for him, but he seems pretty happy about it when I talk to him in post. Uh, apologies in advance if there's like laughter in the background. Mrs. Motherload is entertaining. But yeah, Marky's done uh, so much stuff. It's way more than I could possibly mention here. We get into some of it in the podcast. We're probably going to have to do another one later on just to kind of catch up on everything. But you know, like soundtrack stuff for QCDE, Quake Champions, Diabotical, uh, incredible mapping in the Quake single player mapping community. He's uh, already doing stuff for Slipgate Ironworks and 3D Realms. Absolutely a, a beacon of amazing productivity and positivity in the world that can't go ignored. So music this week is by the man himself. He needs no introduction because he is on the podcast and I already introduced him. And this is from the Viscera Fest soundtrack. Enjoy that and very soon you will be in the heat with... Michael Markey. Before I was anyone who was technically capable of like recording or producing music, I was, of course, just a metal guitar player, and um, I I had a friend of mine who was into the engineering side, and you know I would hang out with him, and we would record music together and stuff like that. And eventually, I just started picking things up along the way from him, and like wanting to record myself because it started to get like a hassle, like, "Hey, can you record me? Can you come over?" <laughs> yeah. um, so I just I wanted to like learn to do it myself, so I uh, I shelled out. I got all the software and got started. Um, and yeah, it's just been a slow process uh, since then, just like figuring out how audio plugins and like VSTs work and how to like write drums. I mean, I like I said, I was a guitarist before. 
I didn't even know what went into writing like sensible drum patterns and drum beats. Like I had a lot to learn. Uh, I I had a lot of knowledge about guitar and general music because that was my forte, but everything else was com- the complete wild west for me. But um, yeah. So a lot of that does I I owe a lot of that to a friend of mine, and yeah, that's basically how I started in the whole production side of music, and then from then onwards, I you know I've always wanted to make music for video games and stuff, and I began working on an album of my own of instrumental sort of metal ish music and um yeah got noticed by like like mick gordon commented on one of my stuff on one of my tracks that i posted on like the doom subreddit and that's what really was mm-hmm. like what really was the kick in the ass for me that i needed i should really like this could be real like i should i should consider this as a real thing and like really work for it so yeah well, let's let's do a little moonwalk um here so, at some point, little little Michael was a kid who'd never touched an instrument, yeah. right? And you gained some sort of interest in music from somewhere. That That's what I want to know about. Yeah, so, uh, of course, as a kid, I grew up in the early 90s and uh, playing Doom mm-hmm. on on DOS. On, I, have, I still have my Doom floppy disks, actually. Uh, yeah. But um, that's not where my music interest started per se i just think that's where the seeds were planted because you know all the tracks in the original doom are just like metal ripoffs right of like existing classic metal tracks and what actually as embarrassing as it well no that's not embarrassing what got me started in wanting to actually learn how to play guitar in the first place was actually max Payne 2 uh because the ending theme song for that uh was a track by poets of the fall named late goodbye and it, I think it was written for the game. Like it has references to the game in the actual lyrics. And um, yeah, I don't know. That's, it was like an acoustic guitar song. And I, I thought it was really cool for some reason. I don't know why I singled this track out. I thought it was really cool. And, I, and it made me want to learn how to play guitar to learn how to play it. And so that's when I started learning. I, I, I asked my mom for um, lessons. And she... Uh, she managed to find some teacher, but I, I didn't get very far with him. And I, uh, I, I broke my wrist in like PE in like middle school, and I just stopped playing guitar for a long time. And that was that, seemingly, until like 2004 or five, maybe. When uh, this is the as embarrassing as it is to admit part is when Guitar Hero came out, and uh, that was like my first proper exposure to like a lot of metal and specifically like the tracks like cowboys from hell and bark at the moon Uh, i thought the guitar solos in those songs were like sick and i just like i want to play those dude those are so awesome so um i bugged my mom to get get me an electric guitar and then i just started learning on my own like looking up um tabs or like playthrough videos on like youtube 1.0 like old youtube um and yeah, I started learning like early thrash metal stuff, a lot of Megadeth, Metallica. Uh, and then I sort of, as my interest was in the more technical side of playing, I I began veering into more extreme outlets like technical death metal, progressive death metal, like bands like Necrophagist and Nevermore. And, uh, 
you know, all those, all the shredders, with Paul, Paul Gilbert's, Ingve Malmsteins, etc. Um, so I got very interested in them, and you know, I was growing up, I was in high school, made a band with some friends. We played a few shows in like local area parks or whatever venues, stuff like that. And that sort of just ended. And after high school, I was just sort of on my own trying to figure out what to do. I actually originally was going to school uh, for pre-med. And at the same time, still just messing around with guitar and music. And then I decided, you know what? I, I like the traditional like education system. Like I just, I can't, I struggle real, real hard with it. Not because of, um, like my inability to like pick up on concepts, but because like I get really impatient at like the general slow pace of a lot of things. And like, I just stop caring and then I stop participating and then I start falling behind, which is, it's like a really weird sort of Ouroboros there. Like I, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's been, it was fairly consistent for me, um, having to like drop classes all the time. Uh, and so I just was like, you know what? I think I can do music, and then that's... I'm sort of here now today. There's a lot to cover there, but... First of all, I totally agree with you on the whole education system didn't work out for me thing. Like, just, you know, whether it be sitting in a classroom or just, like, memorizing stuff that I'm not passionate about, I think a lot of people kind of share that, you know. Yeah. It's like music drives you, you know, like this is interesting to me and you want, you're learning it because you have like a a vested interest in like a passion for that. But for sitting in a classroom or, you know, just going through the motions of something that you think you're supposed to do is very difficult. I I don't really know where that comes from. Like, I I don't know who, who does the education system work for? Who are these people? I don't 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 know. Um, Everything that, I've ever been good at in my life or have ever succeeded in, in my life. Uh, I was, I taught myself and everything that I have failed yeah. at was not that I was not me teaching myself. <laughs> it's, uh, I, it's just, yeah. I guess it's just an issue of like drive and motivation. And, you know, if someone truly is motivated to do something, um, you know, at least someone like me, if I'm, if I'm really, if, if I have the motivation to do something, I will put a hundred and ten percent into it. And I guess that's the only way I can get things done is if I feel really motivated for it. And you know, that's probably not a good thing, but um you eventually grow up and hopefully learn how to work around that. Another thing that you brought up was the gu- guitar hero and is you know, it is silly, but there's an entire generation of, you know, young people who got into heavy music specifically because of Guitar Hero and as as impractical as the guitar actually is for that game I know a lot of drummers who actually like picked up the drums specifically because of Guitar Hero and Rock Band and that's a little bit more practical like you you actually do have to go through the motions to play the drums in those games and some of them that I grew up with are now really accomplished drummers so it's it's interesting but when you when you hear like the the music that you were talking about, because you, you described this is true of a lot of metal kids I've noticed is unlike hip hop, metal you tend to start from the beginning and work your way forward. Like you have to go back at least to like the eighties and the thrash metal stuff, and then you like and then I slowly progressed into the heavier shit. Like I don't I don't know a lot of people who just immediately loved 
death yeah, metal. Yeah, nobody, nobody. You know? It's 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 a it's a really it's a really big apple to bite to just jump straight into like <laughs> just like you know like cannibal corpse or something like that like no one's yeah. just starting there or like black metal yeah, you've at least yeah. got to have that the the window through like a Metallica or a Megadeth or something like that to get you started and it's all about the yeah it it's all about the slippery slope when it comes to metal you know if you're ever breaking someone into yeah. metal first you gotta you gotta get them to listen to something that just has like uh you know nice vocals good singing you know and then it has of course some distorted guitars and then you just slowly start easing them and you boil the frog you know <laughs> until <laughs> yeah like how how do you get from from like led zeppelin and it, black sabbath pretty damn heavy especially for the time but you start off with like kiss and led zeppelin and shit and then you 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 watch the treat what was that guy's name that did the like the metal evolution show oh metal name? metal headbangers journey yeah, and he also did a, a TV series for VH1 about mm. it too, um, that expanded on it. But he had that whole tree of the evolution, and you you go from, you know, I want to rock it and roll all night, and then on the other <laughs> end of that spectrum, you have like just <laughs> the blackest of black. Yeah, metal. yeah, yeah. It's it's um, it's it's really honestly bizarre. I I don't really I don't I don't know how it works, but uh, I guess what happens is um. You maybe it's all about like finding the warm spot in the pool. Maybe you know, like maybe you get used to the you, peed most you get recently. used to like the guitars and stuff. <laughs> yeah, where did you pee? Mo- where did you pee yeah. most recently in the pool? Exactly. Uh, it's like maybe maybe you start getting accustomed to like the metal drums and the guitar, right? And then you begin to like, well, mm-hmm. I tolerate this band's vocalist, but but the instruments are yeah. so good, you know. And then and then eventually you start to get used to it and be like, huh, you know what? This is kind of cool. You know, I'm kind of digging the rhythms in these uh, vocal parts and. Eventually, you know, you get there because I mean that's what vocals. That's what all those um, growly, screamy vocals are in a lot of extreme metal. Is that they're actually a rhythm instrument, and I feel like once that clicks for people, that's when they start to get it. Yeah, the growl vocals are all about emphasizing really powerful syllables at the right times. It's not just I want to hear a guy scream the word blood as hard as he can. No, it's it's there's a there's a rhythm to it, and that's what's interesting. Yeah, it's really. Especially with death metal, you end up with a lot of syncopation between the bass and the drums, and and then the the growling vocals oftentimes kind of join in with that or accentuate certain parts of the melody. It's really I don't know. You're making me think too hard. <laughs> it's just it's just fucking awesome. I love me- like I love metal. Yeah, Ugh, that's that's all yeah, that matters. Yeah. But so then you you know you, you get in through the the guitar hero shit because guitar hero is like kind of the best of both worlds and it gamified music you know it, it's not as simple as just oh yeah it's a dumb game where you tap on some buttons it's you're creating that initial kind of segue for someone to not necessarily learn music but learn the timing of music at least and then you're hearing all this great music and there was all it wasn't just metal too there was a bunch of good shit across the whole spectrum of that I don't know why, I guess, why did it die off? It died off because, I, I'm pretty sure it's because people got sick of buying the peripherals and it was starting, and like, people yeah. stopped care. like the, the the niche was like, was gone, uh, or the hype, yeah, yeah. the hype was gone, it, it, it had been around for so long, people had bought enough peripherals to the point where it wasn't exciting anymore, and it's just, obviously, it is expensive to kind of, you know, I think like buying, um, like a new Guitar Hero set for like a new console, let's say, um, that stuff, that, yeah, it was a couple bucks. hundred bucks. Yeah. Like it was a lot. 
especially with the later ones once they started having vocals with the microphones and then drum kits and then multiple guitars and blah 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 so yeah it's expensive and i guess the 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 gimmick was was tired and i wonder it's like really interesting i feel like that's actually had some knock-on effects because there was definitely a really strong metal revival that was hap- that happened in the mid to late 2000s um i that mm-hmm. i credit solely to guitar hero guitar hero and rock band's existence and um, those games kind of died, and you know, like it, I, it honestly feels like metal has sort of taken a back seat um, because of that. Like I feel like kids today aren't growing up with Guitar Hero, so there's like they're not as you know prone to maybe pick up a guitar. I think it's there. A lot of people shit on mumble rap, and I don't like it sonically for me, but it's kind of has the same fuck you punk rock spirit. Uh, in that it's so annoyingly stupid, you know, as far as you know, our adult ears hear it. Then, but that's just the kids literally saying, like, "Well, let's do something that's fucking, you know, upsets old people, just like punk rock and metal did." Um, and it's also more accessible. Like, you can just be a fucking mumble rapper on, you know, social media and shit. You can just upload shit to SoundCloud now. So it's it's very low entry point you don't have to buy instruments if you got a cell phone or you know a cheap microphone and some shitty production equipment you can just make whatever yeah but uh, at that point like the saturation kind of becomes an issue doesn't it oh well that's true of all things but i think it's just a what are what are the young folks doing these days it's like you know whatever's the cheapest easiest route for them to go and what's accessible to them well, it's weird. yeah, it's 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 weird, but like you know, getting into guitar or any actual instrument is never cheap. The cheapest no. thing to get into is singing, because uh, you just need to buy a, at most a hundred dollar microphone. That's it. Well, if you're rapping, you don't even have to learn how to sing, and if you're mumble rapping, you don't even have to learn how to rap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, like... it's um, I don't know. It's it it a lot of. A lot of like the whole like mumble rap thing, they're really it feels like um that self expression is like not the goal. It feels like um the goal is to just sort of cater to a pre existing aesthetic just yeah. just for like cool points, just because you think it feels cool or it is cool or whatever, sounds cool. But like there's no way it's actually like creatively fulfilling to make a good mumble rap song because I don't know I mean that doesn't exist in my opinion, but you know what? I'm me. And well, then, like you said earlier about yeah. like how growling vocals are just a you know rhythm instrument. Yeah, it's the same thing for them. I can totally hear. I can totally hear that. Um, yeah. In that there, there, it's not like they're just you know completely um, off time and just sometimes they are actually off time. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I I totally get what what they're doing. But I just I, I guess uh, for me personally, I need I need more than just that in in music yeah i do too i don't i don't like it i'm just saying it we're we're the old guys now they're yeah. just like oh that, that's i don't know those kids are fucking dumb like cranky old men yeah oh so what have you like not worked on man it's been fucking a couple of years now that you've been kind of Rising in through the industry, you kind of started off with that Reddit post, and then you did what QCDE, which was incredible. Yeah, and then the sky's the limit from there. What what else? What's all going on now? Because uh, oh boy, have... um, well, 
Okay, so I'm working on doing music and sound for Viscera Fest. I'm working on a bunch of 3D Realms projects. Some of them unannounced as of the date of this recording. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe someone, some time travelers are listening to this and be like, I know what you're talking about, you bastard. And, uh, yeah, I've, uh, I'm doing, like, sound design for Proteus. Shit, like, there's a lot of 3D Realms projects. I mean, I, can, I, I did some sound effects for like, Ghost Runner, which actually just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I did this, a, a number of things on Graven, like the uh, the trailer score and some sound design and some voice acting. Uh, man, I'm I'm working at right now also as a level designer for 3D Realms on some unannounced stuff, and that's that's just a thrill because level design is like my actual like <laughs> leisure hobby. Like that's yeah. that's what I like to do in my spare time. I uh, I remember when you were on Quakecast, I believe you talked about how uh, Osric you got you working on Viscera Fest, and you had not done like s- proper sound design before. It's always been music. Yeah. So what's that journey been like getting into sound design? And as you said, you're already oh man it doing a it for a, mul- a multitude of other games too. So. Sound design is one of the most obtuse fields to get into because Mm -hmm. it's like one of those fields where nobody likes to share their secrets it's just there's really like no right way to do anything and it's all it all just comes down to experimentation and knowing what sounds you can make with what and there's a lot of trial and error that goes on with um sound design in general and yeah a lot of mistakes that have to be made Oh god, I completely also forgot to mention that I did a lot of stuff for Diabotical. <laughs> Holy crap. I worked on that for a while. Um anyways, so uh that's that's another topic. Um sound design, yeah. Um a lot of sound design at first when you're first starting out really does come down to taking pre-existing uh you know, samples and like maybe trying to change them in some way or mix them with other ones to create sort of like a a new a new sound out of the two, uh, mixing, warping them, pitching them down, applying processing effects to them, etc. Like, um, that's basically how I got started, and that's how most people get started. And then eventually, you start picking up on, you know, key elements of a sound and like how to recreate it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now like when I make a gunshot sound for a game, I never use an actual gunshot recording sample. Like, it's never a real gunshot. I always take I, I, I compartmentalize the sound into uh, all of its different categories that it has, and then I mix that together. So, like, a gunshot of mine will have, like, an electronic synth kick in it. It'll have, like, a really, really um, harsh metallic snap to it. Of just, like, it's just almost what sounds like, um, almost, like, like, I guess, like, maybe, like, a trigger being pulled, but just, like, the metallic snap of it. Like, uh, an explosion, a straight up, just a, an explosion, not a gunshot, an explosion, which, um, I then I'll have like a, I'll create like a low end variant and like a high end variant and mix those together. And, you know, you, and then like the tail of the gunshot. And then that's just like a standard stock gunshot. So basically, yeah, I compartmentalize the entire gun sound, almost like you would break down like a, 
like the members of a band. Like, you know, you have like a drummer, you have the guitarist, you have the bassist, you know, they each serve a very specific role. Well, all sounds can be broken down in much the same way uh, in that they all have these elements that put, when put together are more than the sum of their parts. I guess that about settles it. So when, <laughs> when you're doing this, like you're not trying to recreate like, so let's just say your game had like a nine millimeter in it. I mean, mm-hmm. people would argue there's no substitute for the sound of a nine millimeter, but y- you can really play with it the different sounds and especially in games where the, you know, the weapon isn't actually real. So for Viscera Fest, for instance, any gun in that game could sound like whatever the fuck you want it to. As long as the player understands it, you know, this is the vaguely a gun sound of some sort. You can make it sound however you want. As you said earlier, you had some like synth sounds in it and dissecting each little part of it. Like, okay, what, what are the ingredients that make up a gun sound? As you said, there there is a tiny explosion that happens within the you know bullet. Yeah, there's there's a low end there. thump. There's like a yeah. a high crack. There's a you know all these things. And the thing about gun gun sounds that maybe a lot of people don't realize is that guns that our perception of how guns sound guns in real life sound nothing like guns in movies and games. Right. In real life. You know, like a, a gunshot is actually kind of uneventful, an uneventful sound. It's a, it's a very loud, quick crack. It's like a firework is almost more dramatic than a gunshot. It's um, so loud usually, especially when you're actually holding the weapon, that you can't really hear it anyway. You know, it's it's just... it's, it's incredibly loud and it's incredibly short. It's like yeah, it's like it it has like no life to it. And when actual recorded gun sounds are not very exciting at all. They need so much work done to them in order to even be recognizable as what we perceive as a gun in entertainment media. Um, and yeah, a lot of the times, like I have, I have tons of recordings of real guns and I would never use the real gun recording for the real gun in the game. Uh, <laughs> unless I was trying to maybe make some ultra accurate military simulator, maybe, but other than that, I wouldn't do it. Like, for example, real-life shotgun sounds, I like for, like, revolvers in games. But anything lower than that, like, pistol, actual pistol sounds, I'm not, I'm not a fan of. I'm, I'm more, I prefer to be able to completely sculpt uh, what all the characteristics of what my gun sound will sound like using, basically, the source because a gunshot is just a tiny explosion. Well, let me just get a big explosion and I'll chop it down tiny so I have complete control. You know, something like that. I've never even thought about half of this shit, dude. It's really cool to So you you got into it just kind of oh, okay, I'll tackle that. But then you had to again, as you said earlier, kind of like teach yourself. You did the autodidact thing and figured it out from the ground up. That's what's so amazing about it is it's not like I could have any sound designer in here and be like, okay, how do you do your job? But the learning process of doing it and figuring out each little part and putting it all together yourself in your own brain, that's what's super cool. I would not have been able to do this starting out. There's no way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I had to... The only way I was able to get into sound design is because I had worked so much in music and it really trained my ear to... I have like a keen ear for like frequency balance and stuff like that. And I could pick things out. Like 
I can hear, oh, wow, that's a really loud, uh, you know, 80 hertz thump. Um, and so because of just how much I've worked with music and used kick drums that have, have had 80 hertz thumps in them, and I've heard mm-hmm. them so much. So I just, it just becomes like a, a matter of almost just like repetition. Like you hear the thing so much, you just begin to recognize it. You, be, you begin to see it everywhere. And sound is much the same. Uh, so if I did not have that background in music, it, I would literally be doing it blindfolded, or I guess better a better analogy would be with, with earplugs in. And yeah, so I feel like you really need that background with sound. I have no idea how you would get into it without a strong uh, foundation in in sound in the in the first place. As in the movies, they just take those little blocks and bang them together for gunshots. You know, like bang, 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 and that's it. <laughs> yeah, and for uh, and for some doom doom wads, they just slam doors and just clip them in audacity. <laughs> yeah, that's a way to do it, man. Yeah. You know, it's it's what's so cool about it is that you can take a, a sound that already exists and turn it into something completely. It's all about your perception of what it was. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah like uh, Viscerfest has a has like a classic sort of quake style grenade bounce in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just me, like hitting my metal water bottle with a spoon. <laughs> yeah, it, I was talking to uh, Aubrey Hodges recently, and he had one, uh, the the baby crying sounds that are in Doom sixty four. Yeah, the Mount Erebus and, track for yeah. PSX Doom. I forgot the name of it. I mean, he was recording crazy shit. He, he at one point he he said a, a bee landed in his Mountain Dew. And was dying and just doing like this weird buzzing sound. He's like, "Ooh, I'm gonna go get my recorder and get that and put it into a game." Oh yeah, and damn, that's perfect. That guy's great. Yeah, he's so fucking awesome. I love that guy. But remember when Star Wars was like Star Wars three was coming out, and somebody published this article. This is probably when I was in like the fifth grade that I read it, but. They're talking about the the different ways that they made sounds, you know, for the, you know, Wookiees are like bears. They record a, a bear growling or for the, the spaceships, they'd actually go to like a NASCAR race and just stand next to the cars driving by and mm-hmm. get that, you know, the, the echoey fading away. I think it was Bristol Motor Speedway, which they call a uh, Thunder Valley or Thunder, something like that, because it's like the loudest racetrack in the world. It's very small. And so the cars are kind of constantly going around and you get this crazy whirring effect from it. Hmm. So yeah. cool. Yeah, and the the sound of the of the lightsaber in Star Wars is someone waving a microphone in front of a speaker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you I mean you'll never you'll never know sometimes where uh, uh where what you're hearing like where it actually comes from. Like in Viscerfest even I did some of some of it as like a joke where there's like a there's a sound effect of like a there's a gun that has an ambient sound that when you have it out it's like a it's like an organic otherworldly gun and so it makes this like deep ominous like growly rumble when you have the gun out and the source sound effect for that was the sound of a little kid going yippee <laughs> that i just like pitched down and just like butchered into this like monstrous rumble <laughs> Uh, that's actually the sound source. Super weird. Yeah. Other than, you know, guns and everything, like you have so many other options for sound design. So just like footsteps or, you know, uh, I don't know, shit opening, like a, a metal door opening up or uh, the the possibilities are endless. 
But how do you tackle all these other weird things? Like, what are some examples of strange environmental sounds that you have to kind of come up with something for? Oh, yeah. Um, that reminds me of actually one of the ones I had uh, the biggest challenge with in uh, Viserfest was there's a, that same gun that I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it fires like a big disc that, uh, like a, that sort of ricochets off the walls. You know, it's almost like a, like a saw blade sort of gun, right? And um, I needed a sound for the actual projectile flying through the air. And I, I wanted to do like a thing like, you know, like wobbly metal, right? Like, like almost like someone wobbling like a big piece of sheet metal. Like mm-hmm. that sort of sound of, of like, oh, like a blade almost flying through the air. And boy, that was like, that, w- that took me a minute to figure out um, to get the, what I wanted. And I, in the end, I ended up doing something really weird where I took, it was a two-part sound. So the, the, the first part was the low end of it, like the, like the, the actual, like the, you know, the feeling that you feel in your ears, like when the car, car windows open and you're driving. Yep. Like I wanted that. And so what that was, was basically, I just took a synthesizer, just playing a straight sine wave, just a low frequency sine wave. And I put like a, a crazy, uh, chorus effect on it. And th- so that was just the low end, just to get the in your ears. And then for the high end, I used a recording of an electric toothbrush uh, that I pitch shifted down a lot and then boosted the high end of a lot. So it created this, um, it, 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 like a really grating, almost like, uh, humming saw sort of sound like it had like a lot of high end but it didn't sound all puny like a, a little buzzing electric toothbrush like it had it had it sounded like it had a little bit of size to it and yeah I, I basically mixed those two to create the sound of what I initially tried was just someone wobbling a piece of sheet metal and that didn't work at all um, mm. yeah I, I basically needed to fake it so huh. Yeah, it's there's a there there are some things that that can get really 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 tricky. You know, honestly, the easiest things to make are the ultra super sci-fi fantastical sounds. Those are really easy to make because we don't really have a strong basis in reality for them. So you can sort of get away with anything. Just like a lot of times you can get away with, you know, making guns sound huge. Because yeah. a lot of people don't actually have a strong basis in reality for what guns sound like. Or they're so conditioned by just movies and media that they accept that this is what guns sound like. At least what they yeah. should sound like when they're watching a movie or something. I was going to say that you know, we have a lot of expectations based on previous media. You know, So, you know, what would a automatic sliding metal door sound like? And then, you know the obvious answer is like whatever it sounds like in star trek that's what most people think of but what would it actually sound like that's a totally different question and you can really play around with that like you can anything like you said that doesn't already have a real life you know example for people to go off of you can do whatever the fuck you want but then there are all these expectations that are created by where they've seen it before in media yeah yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of embellishment that happens uh, in the space of sound design. Like, mm. there's all these gore sound effects, which is just people destroying produce in various ways. Bone breaks are actually just people snapping 
like a bundle of celery. People just crushing, dropping watermelons on the floor uh, (laughs) is like you is like a typical like gory sort of splat headshot sort of sound. A lot of different like um, and you know they'll they'll mix all these things together too. Like they'll they'll mix the the snapping of celery with like the splat of watermelon with like um, squeezing all the juice out of a grapefruit because that's like some dirty asmr video. yeah yeah it is it's 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 a uh, basically if you're playing a super gory game you're just listening to someone destroy a grocery store <laughs> that's basically what you're hearing <laughs> there are so many different examples of like how that could be done too man it's so do you do you find that you'll spend a lot of time looking up ways that people have accomplished other sounds before do you like watch youtube videos of people just doing weird shit all day for ideas or no no i feel like there's like nothing on youtube i've tried i've looked that's okay like i've looked i've looked for so many different i've looked so many different times for um potential like guides or something on on sound design on youtube and all of them are just like i'm gonna make a monster sound in audacity step one pitch your voice down you're done you know like that's it like it's like okay great all the tutorials are like that and uh yeah, there there isn't any actual good information out there on how to how to do the thing, and in the end, um, yeah, I just it, a lot of it does come down to having an extensive, like a sample library to pick from, yeah, um, and to just sort of like start mixing things together and start understanding how things come together. I don't fully all of my sounds. In fact, I barely foley any of them. I don't, and by foley, foley, for those who don't know, foley is when you record your own sound sources, right? So me pinging my water bottle with a spoon and recording it, that's considered foley. Uh, Many, most sound designers do not foley all of their sounds um, because doing that is just insanity. Everyone's hit a water bottle. Someone's hit a water bottle for you. You just need that sound of someone doing it. You just need to find the right way to mix all that stuff together and to get it to fit right and do all that editing. And that's mo- how most sound design does actually work. It's funny, too, because like once you work in this field, and any field, really, where you know assets like this exist, you begin to start spotting them everywhere. Like There are these gore sounds that I, I, uh, I used like as like bits uh, mm-hmm. in ViscerFest that I've heard in everything from like Wrath, Aeon of Ruin, to Resident Evil 7, to Remnant from the Ashes, to like literally from to, to random Doom wads, like everything. I've like there there are so many different little sounds that uh end up in different spots. Like there's a there's a special move in, in Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice, the uh that Souls like game. There's a special move that just uses an orchestral uh, drum hit sound from a contact instrument sound library that I use in some of my songs. And I remember when I was playing the game and I did the move and I heard the drum sound, I was like, wait, no, damn. Like, I was just like, it was so weird. It's like, it's like seeing the FedEx arrow, you know, you just can't unsee it. I actually don't want to know all that because then I'll, I'll be like, you know, I'll just start hearing the same shit everywhere. And then I'll think I'm in the matrix. Like, no, they're controlling me. Yeah. That is weird. I that's all I really have to say about sound design is like that's fucking weird that you do that. It's super cool though. 
it's really weird too because whenever i do sound design i really feel like i'm living on the edge like i'm always like oh is this yeah. the one sound that i'm not going to be able to do is this the, yeah. is this the one i'm not going to be able to figure out every single time i have that internal monologue so when you when you do these things and you take it to the the designer of the game or the the customer i should say how much you know back and forth do you get with that you know do people oh i don't know make it a little different i, I know with a uh, warfork there's been a lot of issues with you know making the guns sound something like what people want even though you can just go in and replace them and make them whatever you want but the, you know the stock sounds so you hear like a, a rail gun go off and people have an expectation of what a rail gun should sound like and then if it's not in that area they're like i don't like that it should be different or do you do you get a lot of pushback or not historically no i don't get a ton of pushback but i i, I mean it definitely happens where i get like I've gotten like, oh, hey, can you tweak this? Can you change that? And I'm, I'm more than happy to oblige that. A lot of the, the job of being a, a sound person is, mm-hmm. um, is actually people skills. Because the thing about sound is, and it's actually kind of stems with language in general, is that we are not really equipped to talk about sound that well and to describe right. exactly what we want. And a lot of times, the only recourse that people really have to have a discussion is simply via comparison. Can you make yep. this sound like the Half-Life shotgun? Can you, as opposed to saying, you know, can you increase the 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 low-end fundamental frequency of the initial blast? Like, no one will say something, no layman will, will ever say something like that. They'll just be like, I don't know, can you just make it sound heavier? Or can you just make it more epic? You know, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm embellishing a little bit, but, you know, it's, the language doesn't really exist there. And because the human language is is based on uh, sight, of course, all all every, everything is basically designed around what we see versus what we hear, and so that's why there are a lot of gaps in our communication as far as talking about how we perceive sound. Um, so yeah, a big part of the job as a musician or as a sound designer, it's the same for both, is trying to parse what people actually want as opposed to what they say they want. Because a lot yeah. of times those aren't the same thing. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's like the, that's the real, that's the real trick of the job. Um, so typically when I, when I do sounds, I sort of do it like I do the toddler method. And I, that sounds a little bit degrading, but um, you know how people say like, don't tell a toddler to put on their shoes. Tell, ask the toddler which pair of shoes they want to put on. Mm-hmm. That's what you kind of got to start out doing. So you'll be like, well, which one's better, the A or B? And then they pick A. And they'll be like, why is it better? You ask them, why is it better? And then they'll explain why. And then you just give them another A or B. And then they'll, um, like, based off of the results of that first one. And then once you only really need to do that once. Because like once you do that, then you start to understand how that person's thinking, and then you can just do you can just nail the rest because you know the train that they're on. It's a lot about cracking into how that person expresses themselves, and everyone expresses themselves differently. Yeah, it's a sales tactic essentially. It's like you know, uh, yeah, you walk into a car dealership and you're like, you're not like, hey, do you want to buy a car? You're like, so which car is right for you? And yeah, and then you yeah. get an idea of like what what their price range is and their you know. Because at the end of the day, you're you're selling me a 
a watermelon splat on the floor with uh, I I adjusted the low end fundamental frequency or what you know what the fuck ever. <laughs> I, okay, cool. But how how are you going to sell that to me? Sell me this pen, you know, like yeah, uh, that that's what you're doing. Uh, but you got to make me want it. Yeah, so it's it's really strange. Oh, uh, another another interesting thing when it comes to um, sounds too is that a lot of a lot of people like if they don't if they aren't int- intimately familiar with sound design and how it works like you know you'll you'll give them a sound and you'll be like like let's just say like a pistol right a pistol gunshot sound mm-hmm. and then they'll hear it and they'll be like oh that's it I mean could you make it like beefier could you make it beefier could you make it bigger could you make it bigger could you make it even bigger you know and then it's like well you know this is a pistol if you make this too big then big no longer exists and everything is just maximum big and so uh i found honestly one of the most important and one of the most successful techniques i've had to selling a sound to someone is to just tell them to sleep on it yeah i don't don't say anything else i would just be like just play around with it for a little bit and then they forget about it for a little while they develop the game a little bit more. They have the sound in as like a placeholder and they're just working on the game. And then eventually they don't want to part with it. And it's just funny how that works. It's like initially you weren't hot on it, but now you don't want to get rid of it. And like I, I had no part in that conversation. It's like a puppy, you know, just, yeah. just hang on to it. Just keep them in your house for a little while. You'll, you'll learn to love them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. And I feel like um, I, I don't know... I can't like blame people for that because it, it almost it's like human nature, you know, to sort of act like that. Like, um, I don't even know what to attribute that to, but it definitely is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> With a uh, level design, we can, we can kind of shift towards that if you want to. You, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've become. You've used your celebrity to kind of bolster the, the quake level designing community or were you already pals with those guys um, uh, from your hobby or no i i andrew and yeah no 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 i um i completely went into the quake mapping scene as a total noob and you know watching youtube tutorial videos posting screenshots of my crappy maps uh trying to like a- ask questions of like more experienced mappers um and yeah just like learning the ropes i've i have never mapped before in my entire life up until uh january of this year i have never opened a a level editor well that's a lie i've opened doom builder in like the early 2000s once and i had no idea what i was doing and i opened like doom 3 ed once and i had no idea what i was doing but beyond that i i i have zero experience and all of it was just like was just pure fun like it was just i've always wanted to build maps and uh, ever since i was a little kid and i i never did for some reason i never got started on it and then something about 2020 was like you know what i think my new year's resolution i'm gonna make a quake map i'm just gonna make one and then you know here we are like i don't play video games anymore i i just map in my spare time <laughs> and yeah it's it's truly one of my favorite things ever. It's 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 everything I expected it to be and more. That's uh, crazy. So you started in January and you're already getting paid to do it professionally. I guess so. Yeah, that's obtuse. 
It's just I'm kidding. <laughs> it's just time. It's just time. Like uh, I I I think that if anybody puts in puts in the good time into doing something, you can you can get good at it. You can get your version of good at it, whatever that means. And someone might want that. Someone will want that. Who knows? It's just you got to do it. That's all. You will never know until you until you do it. I know that's the most generic motivational yeah. speech bullshit ever. But I mean, it's true. There's a reason why people keep saying the same thing. It's it's generic, but it's like that is the answer. It's echoed again and again, and people still don't seem to grasp that all the time. They're like, I see people ask questions all the time. Like, How do I get into X, Y, or Z? I'm like, just fucking everybody, do it. Everybody Forty, thought that Shia LaBeouf was just memeing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> He's not. 40 Lions uh, posted the other day. 40, I'm talking to you, bitch. Um, he was like, how does one get into uh, voice acting? And we're like, just fucking make a project that requires you to do voice acting and then do that voice acting. 40, just, would, be, 40 would be an incredible voice actor. That- I know. I'm like that, all he has to do is just that fucking sexy, show up. That sexy son of a bitch with that, <laughs> with that awesome, that awesome. He's got that awesome, a little bit touch of gravel in his voice. So you know he's like, yeah, you know he's packing. Yeah, all he's got to do is show up and start talking, and it'd be fine. He could be yeah. like the next uh, H. John Benjamin if he wanted to be. It's just oh, a yeah. matter. Of, like he's like, how do I get into voice acting? I'm just fucking start doing it. It doesn't matter. Just yeah, just, just do it. Just do it. Yeah, but. I don't know. It is really true, though, that all you have to do is just do it. But can I ask you, like, a very honest question? If you don't like it, I'll just cut it out of the interview. Yeah, sure. Do you get imposter syndrome? Oh, my God. Every day. Because, like you said, you, you're mapping from January, and now you're being paid by Slipgate Ironworks to do maps. And I know yeah. there's a lot of people out there that have been, like, grinding for uh, years. Yeah. Do you feel that uh, your prowess in music and, you know, just having that name brand to yourself helps you to, you know, it, it makes sense to hire you to do levels if you can also do that because you're also useful in other ways? Or That's, a, that's something I've thought about because there's definitely a double-edged sword to that, right? Like, yeah. if, if, if someone wanted to hire me for basically have like multiple hats on a project, you know, I guess the concern comes, it's like, well, are you going to have time for both? You know, maybe we should just hire different people for that. But I think I, I, I do believe a bit in like, you know, auteur theory in that if someone has, if you can hear someone's voice in something, I think it elevates the experience right? in some way. And I don't know. I mean, it's something honest. I'll be completely honest. I've obviously never done this. I've never been so involved on a singular project where I was wearing so many different hats. Like I'm helping out with sound design. I'm helping out with music. I'm helping out with level design. I'm helping out with like creative meetings um, about just the general story and game design and stuff like that. Like I'm so I have my, my fingers in all the pies and, um, it's, it's definitely, it's really cool to me and yeah, it's, I mean, we'll have to, we'll have to see if it's successful. I'm sorry if I fuck everything up, <laughs> but, uh, no, um, you won't because you, you can't, you won't allow that. Like you're 
going to do the best fucking job you can because you're passionate about it. I I do really care about it, and hopefully that's what will um, allow me to give it my best. Um, But yeah, that's the the thing about imposter syndrome. To 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 talk about that is, um, I I get that um, all the time, like all the time. I just I think that many people do. I I I maybe maybe I'm just projecting. But I don't imagine there are successful people in the industry who who don't get imposter syndrome. Oh, they do. They become presidents and kings. Yeah, uh, it's just <laughs> that's it's, the secret. Uh, yeah. Well, th- I, my my thing with me is that, and I guess this is a part of the whole imposter syndrome thing is that I'm never really happy with where I'm at. I always feel like I can improve something. Um, Same. And. I don't, I don't, I guess the one saving grace is that I don't ever use that against myself, but mm-hmm. I never feel comfortable, um, not having improved from my last work in some capacity. I feel like if I haven't done better than my previous work, I've failed. Um, and that, that can be a slippery slope, but that all depends on how you deal with failure and how you treat failure. A lot of people, well, I don't know how many people, but there are definitely people that treat failure as a sort of like a, like a guillotine almost that's like going to drop on them and it's over. Uh, and, you know, obviously that's not the case, but some people can't really separate themselves from that sort of thought process. And I guess that's rooted in, in, in deeper issues or maybe life experiences. Who knows? Uh, none of us are shrinks. But... uh yeah, it's just it's so important with how you deal how you deal with failure is one of the biggest one of the biggest hurdles that you need to get over if you want to do anything creative in life or you know really anything in life in general. It's about a lot of it has to do with respecting yourself uh in how you deal with failure. I know a lot of people struggle with that. Um it's it's a very normal thing. Uh and uh, it's like I said, I'm not the best source on how you actually deal with it, but because I, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that I just, if I fail, I, um, I just try to show myself up the next time around, you know, I just, you know what? I'm going to do even better. I'm going to keep getting better in spite of that. I'm just going to do something even better. Oh, I fucked up. Well, you know what? Where did I fuck up? Why did I fuck up? Let's look at people who didn't fuck up you know what did they do right maybe i should do that and i and that's basically my process um i i learn a lot by uh via imitation and maybe maybe that has to do with why i don't let failure kill kill me is because there is always someone who has done it right so there's always someone to look up to i think i have like a sisyphus syndrome sort of thing where i I I'll watch the rock fall down and then the next day I'll wake up and I'll just push the rock back up the hill and I don't know why but that is kind of how I deal with failure. I used to really have serious issues with depression and like when I would fuck something up it would be this like super traumatizing thing. I'm like, "Oh god, I fucked up." and I would really just sit there and it would continually come up and I would think about it all the time and uh you know, a- after years of therapy and 
meditation and all all that kind of shit, I've really gotten to a place where truly when I make a mistake, I just like watch it go by like a car on the road. And and it's very frustrating to try to like make someone else understand how you deal with as you said, how do you deal with failure? Or not even failure, but it's just sometimes like a, an an event that happens that's out of your control and that you can't do anything about it. And I think about a it's not not like a religious thing, but there is this uh, poem called the Serenity Prayer. Are you familiar with that one? No. Okay, so, so it basically just to summarize it really quickly, it says, uh, "Lord, give me the strength, or yeah, give me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change." the strength to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. That's quick. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't know it by name. Yeah. And I mean, that's, we talked about earlier how people kind of repeat the same advice over and over again, but that's a really beautiful way of summarizing. How do you deal with problems of any kind? It was like, identify the things that you can change. You can't change the past. If you fucked up, you can't fix it. If you have the strength to then, change the things that you can do. Okay, what can I do now? Or, you know, where can I learn from? You know, you look, mm-hmm. you look to the people who have done it before and been successful or you, you figure out a new way to do it or, you know, to retackle the problem or fix the mess. You clean up the mess that you just made. And the wisdom to know the difference is the most important part because you have to know, okay, I can't change that. I can change this and move forward. Yeah. Um, it's a there's really a, easy instruction manual. <laughs> there, there, there's a lot. There's a lot to that as well because that that mantra applies to many things past just you know what it what it might seem like on the surface like for example what, what the way I, I improved in anything whether it was mapping or or music or anything like that um is that i would try to figure out well what can i change and so i would i would just go very slowly i would just improve one thing at a time and that's it and you know, eventually, um, you chip away more and more and more until you have a nice sculpture of something, and that's that's how you improve. Is just you just you just fix one thing because you can totally overburden yourself by trying to, you know, completely knock it on out of the park on your first try. But you should never ever try to do that ever. That's that's only how you set up for failure. Um, the best way to improve something is to focus on one thing and just fix that. And that's, 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 only, that's the only thing that matters to you right now. And then you fix that one tiny thing. And then you move on to the next tiny thing. And then you just repeat that. And then all of a sudden, a year later, two years later, you're somewhere that you never imagined yourself being. Do you, uh, so when you interact with your, your pals and shit in real life or just family or whatever, do you feel like a weird separation between what you do professionally and what you do in your personal life? Hmm. Well, I guess a lot of the, a lot of my friends are into gaming or game dev in some capacity. So, you know, that's sort of that's sort of begun happening to me. You know, like I don't know if you've heard the meme, but like, you know, the only friends that game devs have are game devs. Yeah. <laughs> um so that's like I'm slowly kind of inching. I feel myself inching in that direction. And yeah, my my family in general is uh, they're very thrilled about me actually having any any modicum of, of success in what I'm doing because, you know, originally it was like, can you just drop the whole music thing? Can you just go back to college? Like, I mean, people, this is a hobby, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I just stuck to it because I knew that it 
it was the right decision for me and i'm i'm glad i did it it took it took time it took a few years um and it is a grind you know there's to i guess to further go off topic one thing i heard all the time and that was the worst advice that anyone has ever given me and and i hear this regularly repeated is that um don't work for free you know mm-hmm. your you, your time is valuable that is like almost in in many ways that's like some of the worst advice you could give someone uh who's trying to break into any industry because the the world is saturated with millions and billions of people and everyone is doing something better than you and you need to do something to demonstrate your worth you can't create fire without gas uh you need to do something and you you need to you need to give up your you need to give up some blood you know for the blood god <laughs> um everything that i have ever gotten in life and in, in my professional life has started with me doing free shit for friends or for people that's it doing free work for mods doing free work for streamers um doing charitable you know work for games stuff like that like if i had not done any of that doing doing covers of uh, tracks and releasing them for free free downloads for people that's where everything came from if I had not done that, I would literally just be another another wannabe composer plugging away at Reddit classified listings like, you know, composer looking for work because I used to do that and it didn't work. You, you got to you got to put the work in, you got to put the blood, sweat and tears in and uh, I feel like that's that's really uh, that's the wall. You know, that that's the wall that keeps out the people who aren't as passionate as they could be about it. Um, now, obviously, people need to eat, right? So that's why this industry can be so hard to get into, because it requires, uh, I would say, it requires a fair bit of sacrifice to get your foot in the door. And that's where the hard part comes in, is actually uh, maintaining creative drive while at the same time feeding yourself and, you know, sustaining yourself in some capacity and that that is the actual challenge and you know some people have it lucky and others don't other others have have a much harder time um well let's i think we've reached another situation where the the human language is not actually giving you the tools to say what you mean to say so when you you say I did this project for free or, you know, I, I did it for whatever. It's, it's not really free because you, you're, we used to have this, uh, way of speaking. People would say paying your dues, right? Yeah. So if you want to get into an, an already established club or organization or whatever the fuck it is, career field, doesn't matter. You would, in fact, you know, you'd be a, there's an artisan of some kind or a, you know, a trade master and you would go work for free and yep. you would be an apprentice and you would do the grunt work that they didn't feel like doing so that you could learn the trade. And then eventually you become a master yourself yep. and then you can charge people for your work. So like you're, you're not giving shit away for free. You're doing the work and demonstrating it. And in exchange, you were building up exposure you know when you did the shit for quake champions when you did the shit for qcde all this stuff 
I, I remember, you know, a couple of years ago when I didn't know who the fuck you were, but then I kept hearing your name over and over. Who did that music? Who did that music? It didn't matter that it was free. And now there's suddenly this large, you know, pe- group of people in the industry like, well, who do we want to hire to do music? Well, who did that? I really like that. Oh, that was Michael Markey. He's fucking amazing. And it all paid off. And it is going to continue to pay off. That's what's so fucking amazing about it. Yeah. But it wasn't like free labor. It was like you, in exchange for your work, received a brand. You know, you created a brand with your name. Yeah. Yeah. Exposure for it. Yeah. It, it, it definitely goes. It, it's, I definitely spit in the face of the whole, you know, people clowning on uh, working for exposure, you know, paying in exposure. Like, hell yeah, pay me in exposure. <laughs> you know? Of course. Yeah. Uh, that's that's how I got here. Um, yeah, it's I don't know I don't know how how people start giving this advice. This must be some weird long term ivory tower bullshit where they they start believing that 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 to be true. There's no way you got to pay your dues. Money is not the only currency. Is, is the easiest way to put it. There's lots of ways to pay someone back. Uh, it's like karma kind of thing. In, mm-hmm. in a weird way you know like you put good intention into the world and good intention will find you fred is just giving good intention out he, i think he's like the guru of you know wh- whoever's in charge of putting good intention back where it belongs he's like a some sort of light source oh dude fred's out. a king it's amazing like yeah i mean i i've been sitting here grinding you know pushing the fucking rock up the hill with this podcast for a couple of years and and, and i love it i'm gonna do it regardless dude fred is the nice one of the nicest people i have like ever had the pleasure of like knowing like this dude goes out of his way to try to hire people who are like having having it having a rough go at life you know like it's it's incredible like and he puts so much into the community like he 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 fucking okayed the graven textures to be released to the quake community just so that they could make maps with them just quake maps with them like why why would you do that like you know there's like <laughs> you you pay all these like fantastic texture artists to make like the the best like retro style textures in the industry and then you just give it away for free like well, what's go- what's you only do that if you have that. a love for the game yeah, what's going to happen as a result of that? Well, there it's, you go. People are going to be like, well, where did that come from? What's that interesting looking thing? Oh, it's from that game Graven. And then they're going to be like, Graven, what's that? And then they're going to go find it and then they're going to buy it and Fred's going to make money. So. <laughs> Hopefully. I mean, th- there's so much abstraction there. I can only, I could only ever actually attribute this as like a, as like a, you know, hum- or what's the right word? Um, philanthropist move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Fred's uh, awesome, he- man. He's winning. He, he's putting out the good vibes and receiving the good vibes in return. I, all hail Fred. But God damn, dude, this has been amazing. I've really enjoyed kind of getting to pick your brain for a while. Yeah, man, this was fun. You want to cut it here? We'll do it again sometime later when you have more to talk about. Yeah, that sounds great. All right. You got any uh, closing thoughts, social media plugs, anything? I can just point people to your website. It's got all the stuff there. Uh huh. Closing thoughts. Shit. Um, what's the Jamie Jostis podcast at the end? He's like growling vocal. Additional thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get a thoughts. jingle for that. Okay, I do have additional thoughts. 
Um, if, if any of you listening enjoy first-person shooter games, and I heard that there might be one or two of you, you guys and gals need to get into the uh, Quake custom mapping scene because there is so much gold there to just play and enjoy. It's the best shit ever, man. Holy crap. I can't, I can't rip myself away from it. All the time, there's something crazy new coming out, and it's always it's it's fun, it's fresh. Um, Quake One is like one of the best feeling games ever to play. It's just awesome, man. I mean, that's why I map for it. I can't get enough of it. So, if you like first person shooters and you don't keep up with the Quake mapping scene, do it, please. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll post the link to yeah. that dump truck. We'll just bam. We're good. We're in. Uh, it's been great talking to you. We'll do it again sometime. Take care. All right. Thanks again to Michael Markey for being on the show. Finally, it was amazing. Thanks to him again for the music from again, the Viscera Fest soundtrack, which is being created by a previous guest, Ozreek. Really cool game. You should check it out. I'm going to leave a whole bunch of notes in the uh, episode description full of all sorts of shit. You should go check out that Markey has worked on. He is absolutely amazing. And, uh, I don't know how to put it into words. But hey, also, thank you to you, the listener. And I want to say a special thank you to some of our most important listeners, those who support us on Patreon. So, Paul, Moose, Dot, Zach, Alexander, Brad, Red Eyes, Anthony, Robert, Jack, Randy, Fred, Lord Revan. You are all absolutely incredible, and we love the fact that you love to keep so much that you're willing to fork out your hard-earned money to uh, help us, you know, fulfill our dreams here, too. It really means a lot, and there's no way I can really say thank you, other than to give you early content. Uh, and also, we've been giving out t-shirts to anyone over $25 worth of donations. So, you know, no matter what tier you are, once you give $25, we should do a t-shirt. Thing uh, for Patreon supporters who so consider doing that. If you're out there listening and you want to support the show but you don't want to do Patreon, uh, you can definitely go to our merch tab. In fact, for all of the month of November, merch is 10% off and all proceeds go towards the Florence Nightingale Foundation as part of the Pigeon Classic Annual FPS Charity Event. You can read more about that on our website in thekeep.com. You'll also find the rest of our support stuff like Venmo, credit card, PayPal, that bullshit. Amazon, Buzzsprout, and Instacart, all of our affiliate links. Check them out. We love you. Stay in the keep.